Good morning, everybody. Would you stand with us today, please? Join us in singing our praises to the Lord this morning. We are very glad that you are here worshiping with us.
good, isn't he? Turn to your neighbor and just say, God is good. I didn't hear you say, God is good. That's right. He is calling us to love him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. to once again be in your house, God. You are so worthy of praise, and uh, we thank you that you've given us voices, God. You've given us breath and life that we might come into this place together, joining together, joining the angels in heaven in praising your name this morning. God, strengthen us now as we continue to praise you, as we continue to lift you up, and we think and sing about the things that are so awesome that you've done for us, about the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross for us, God. May we worship you now. In Jesus' holy and awesome name, I pray. Amen. Thank you. 
for your good singing today. Please reach in the book rack right there in front of you somewhere and see if you can find one of those little black folders. And when you find one, if you'll be so kind to put your name on it and give it to somebody sitting near you, we will appreciate that today. Thank you so much. As you came into the church this morning, you probably saw that big box right by the door back there. Uh, we are collecting books for the Philippines. And uh, we'd like to have some children's books to send over there. They, they appreciate all the books that we send. Uh, we've sent a lot of theological books over there. I'm cleaning my library out. Uh, books are, in our country, uh, becoming a thing of the past. Uh, we have it all on the Internet now. But uh, they don't have that, that as, as prevalent as we do uh, here in our country. So uh, whatever books uh, you bring in, we'll go through them. And if we feel that they're something that they can use, we'll pass them on. Al Finney will, will uh, package them up and uh, send them over to the Philippines. I was talking to Al, and I said, Al, can these books actually make it all that distance? You know, I mean, that's a lot of weight. Books are heavy. And uh, he said, I've, I've learned how to package these things up. And he said, uh, they, they do make it. So we thank you for participating in that. Uh, last week we talked to you. We have these little cards there up here in the front, right on the front uh, chairs, right up here in little boxes. Uh, this is like a business card. We've made it up. Julie, you designed this. Uh, at your place, and uh, if you didn't get some last week, come up here on the front after the service and take some out of these little boxes. Keep uh, one or two with you at all times. You never know when the Lord will uh, set up a situation. You can invite someone to come to church, or you can invite someone to listen to the church radio program. Now, the church services are on one side, the radio program is on the other side, and uh, this is the time of the year that people are frozen in and so sometimes they do get up and they do turn the radio on they're driving down the road whatever it's amazing how many people listen to the radio especially on Sunday morning uh, on this particular station so um, you avail yourself of that and I am um, I, th I think you'll like these cards let's stand together please as our ushers come this morning and we'll receive our morning offering together at this time on the back of your courier, we have, uh, we have a giving verse, and I want to give it to you. It's Exodus 35, 29. It says, So the people of Israel, every man and woman who was eager to help in the work of the Lord, had given them, brought their gifts, and gave them freely to the Lord. That's what we're doing today. Uh, we're coming freely. The Lord has provided so much for us, and now we're ready to render back to him a portion. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day which you've given to us. We pray now that as we give for your work that you will be lifted up and honored in uh, the sacrifices that we make uh, for the preaching of the gospel. We thank you for our jobs and now we've come to demonstrate our love to you in this way through giving. We pray that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
open our Bibles today, please, to the book of John in the New Testament. Thank you. Book of John, chapter 14. I'd like to talk to you today about the way to heaven. You know, I think if you ask most people, uh, they would uh, all agree that they would like to go to heaven. Uh, many people have never heard how, and some people are just too embarrassed to even bring up the subject uh, because uh, they think it's um, just, why haven't they learned that uh, somewhere along the line? I think there's another group of people that um, that kind of grow up in a church like I did that uh, at least for part of my growing up years that kind of believed if you put all your good works over on one side and all your bad works over on the other side and at the end of the day uh, the end of the day they're balanced out uh, that uh, you're going to certainly be better than you were bad and so therefore God is going to accept you on that basis uh, and he's going to welcome you into heaven. Uh, Jesus here in John chapter 14 gives us his way to heaven and we'll, we'll look at it here in uh, verse number one. Uh, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know, Thomas said to him, Lord, uh, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except he comes through me. Uh, this is actually the sixth message on these little statements, I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. There are there are seven of them. Actually, there's, there's eight of them if you include one particular one. Uh, this is the sixth one that, uh, that we land on today uh, here in verse number six. Uh, you remember that uh, in the first two words we have Jesus proclaiming who he is. He is the, uh, he is the God of the Old Testament. He is the I, I am of Exodus chapter three verse 13 through 15. Uh, he, is, uh, he is that person. And whenever Moses asked, uh, asked God to give him his name, uh, that's the name that God gave Moses. And uh, I think that whenever Moses heard that, I am is my name, he probably wondered, well, you are what? I am what? Well, in the book of John, uh, Jesus is uh, explaining what. Uh, he is the God, and what does he do in our life? Here we find he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the last uh, conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. Uh, uh, most people call it a discourse. Uh, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, from chapter 13, uh, 31 through 1726. That's the last discourse of our Lord's life. Um, you know, last statements are, are revered by many people. 
Others before him have had their final words in the Bible. Since the beginning, this has been practiced. Uh, whenever I think of this, I think of Jacob. Uh, that's memorable to me. Back in Genesis chapter 47 through 49, Jacob gathered his uh, family together and he gave them the last words. And uh, they were significant. And then there was Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. He, uh, he uh, gave a lot of his last sayings there. And then there was Joshua in Joshua 23 and 24. And then there was Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 12. And then there was David in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and 29. The last words are significant. These people knew that they were, they were leaving planet Earth and they did get a chance to give their last words. And so here we stand uh, with the disciples of our Lord as we hear our leader's last words to his disciples. And the first thing he says to them is uh, some comforting words for the toughest times. You know, there are tough times in our life, in our lives, and then there are the toughest times. Uh, it seems like there's always a tough time right around the corner, right? Uh, we, we have one tough time, and then we say, okay, that's, that's not too bad. And then we have something that really jumps up at the top of the, up the top of the, as high as it could go. It's the toughest of times. And so this is the toughest of times for our Lord and for his disciples. His death is right around the corner and their persecution, just think of this. You know, I think that most people would be willing to leave planet Earth if they knew that their kids were taken care of. If they knew everything is financially secure for the kids, they're walking in the ways of the Lord, you could almost leave uh, uh, with a smile on your face, couldn't you? Well, Jesus here is getting ready to leave and uh, and he's thinking about them and the persecution that's going to fall on them. And these are his words, and this is what he says. And look at it in verse 1. He says, let not your heart be troubled. And what this means is this. Stop being disturbed. And it's a command and not a suggestion. Uh, you know, what he's saying here is you have to change your feelings. And how do you do that? You do that by changing your attitude. Uh, Jesus kind of... Um, showed how to do this in John chapter 12, verse 27. Turn over there with me, please. John 12, 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. My soul is troubled. Here we find that same word, troubled. It signifies horror. Jesus was contemplating the task of taking on the wrath of God for the sins of the world, and it caused revulsion in his sinless nature. And so Jesus uh, has gone through this. He relied upon his father in the hour of his trouble. And now he tells his disciples, listen, let not your heart be troubled. The heart, this is not talking about the, the physical organ of the heart. It's a reference to the center of our spiritual life. Uh, the foundation of their spiritual life was being shaken. And... Uh, Jesus has been here before, and he's saying, listen, let not your heart be troubled. Well, there were plenty of things at this particular time for them to be troubled about. I'm going to give you a list of them, okay? The first one is Jesus was going away. How hard would it be to handle after you put your life and future into his hands? 
Remember, they had dropped their vocational tools. They stopped fishing. They folded up their nets. I don't know whether they took them to a flea market or not to get rid of them. And now they're scratching their head and they're thinking, where did we, where did we put our nets? He's leaving. He's leaving us here. His departure would demolish their plans. The idea of a secular kingdom was evaporated before them. Jesus is going away. And to make things worse, it's how he's going away. He would die. Uh, this sure doesn't sound like a liberator to me. Someone who would put their eternal trust, somebody that they would put their eternal trust in. In fact, uh, they had not accepted Jesus would suffer and die. Somebody told me the other day when talking about somebody, that person's in denial. You've heard that, you've heard that mentioned so many times. Well, I think the disciples were in denial according to Luke 24, 21. Uh, they had heard it and they had heard it and they had selective hearing, which you and I have all been accused of. And, uh, and so he's going to die. And another thing to add on to that list is one of the 12 was a traitor. Now, I don't know the relationship that the 12 had with each other, but I know that they had walked with each, with each other for a long time and they had worked together. Uh, but Judas was out now selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And of course, that wasn't new to him because remember, he was the treasurer and he knew how to dip into the treasury. And uh, he was a traitor. Jesus said that Peter would disown him. He even gave the details of Peter's uh, denial. And Peter's heart was not as loyal as he thought it was. And he was the spokesman of the group. And how demoralizing is that, that uh, they would think, well, if Peter can deny the Lord, what about us? And then uh, all the disciples would fall away. Matthew 26, 31, Jesus said to them this, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Well, here we find all of these things piling up. Nothing positive about this. You know, you can take one hit and kind of shake it off, and you can take a few other hits and shake it off, but if they just keep coming, uh, they have what we call a cumulative effect. They keep piling up, uh, one negative thing right after another. Jesus is looking to the events of the evening and the next day, his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, his death, and, uh, and this is a high-tension moment. And Jesus said, in effect, now listen, Trust me. Stop being troubled. You know, that's easier said than done, isn't it? Because you've said that to your kids sometimes. You know, shape up. And they're thinking, well, how do I do that? Well, Jesus said, stop being troubled. But he gives the solution here. And look at it. We're in verse number one. Uh, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, the first statement there, you believe in God, is what we call an indicative statement. That simply means it's a statement of fact. And so what, what Jesus is saying is, I want you to, uh, to draw in everything you know about God, and uh, you believe that. You trust in him. You know, I think it's a lot easier to trust in God when we know more about God. And I'm sure that these disciples did know quite a bit about God. And so they were drawing it all, all in. And Jesus said, listen, you believe in God. Uh, I want you to believe in me. The second part of the statement is, 
an imperative statement. The first is indicative, second is imperative, and that's a command. And he says, I want you to believe in me. I want you to put your full trust in me right now. Uh, they're probably thinking, you know, I can do that. I believe in God and I can, I can trust Jesus. And what Jesus does right here is he paints a picture of their future. He says, your future is secure. He had a plan for their future. And, uh, and this is comforting for me today because all of us are going into the future. All of us are heading, headed there and some faster than others. And so Jesus says here, I want to I tell you about my plan. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now remember in John 13, 36, Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said to him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. And so let's this morning sit at the feet of Christ and hear these timeless words. Change your attitude. Trust him. Our future is secure. And, uh, and this statement is kind of interesting, and Jesus kind of uh, is, almost looks like he presumes that they know where he's going. Verse 4, and where I go now, and the way you know, and where I go you know, and the way you know. And here we find a, a character that, you've, uh, that has come to be known as Doubting Thomas. Uh, Thomas wasn't afraid to speak up. He speaks up in an honest and reverential way. He wanted to be sure of the details. And he just got open and honest with God. And I think that a lot of times we're, we, uh, we are unwilling to do that. Look what Thomas said. Lord, we do not know where you're going and how can we know the way? Thomas here admits that his um, hearing had been selective and uh, he uh, was probably in denial that Jesus was going away, but now was rug-cutting rug time. And uh, he said, listen, I want to know the details of this. And Jesus said, I am the way. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Uh, I'll lead the way. Uh, Hebrews 6.20 is, is an interesting verse. It talks about Christ, and it says this, where the forerunner has entered for us even Jesus, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Hebrew says that Jesus is a forerunner. Now, the word forerunner is the Greek word prodomus, uh, and it's used uh, in the Roman army for a reconnaissance troop. They would go out before the main body of uh, soldiers, and they would uh, blaze the trail. They would tell the people behind them where to go and where not to go. What's the best trail through this prodromus? It was also used back in that time as a, a, a title for a small boat. Harbors were difficult to navigate. Big boats had trouble going into harbors. And they would send out this little boat to kind of chart the waters before the big boat goes into the harbor. And that boat was called prodromus. And so the Bible says that that's what Jesus is. He is the forerunner. He is the reconnaissance person. He's going before us to prepare the way. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, you only prepare a place for someone if you're confident of their arrival. Jesus could only say this to the group after Judas had left. 
he would not go to prepare a place for Judas, at least not that place in his father's house. He said, I'm going to my father's house, and I know that all of you know where that is. That's our future mailing address, our forwarding address. It's kind of comforting the way the Lord puts it there, our father's house. We, it's known as heaven, Abraham's bosom, and the thief on the cross knew it as paradise. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus said in that place there are many rooms, room for all. You know, uh, all of us have experienced overcrowding in some of our houses, haven't we? You know, we've had a lot of people over and people are saying, hey, I got to get out of here. You can't breathe in here. Um, some of us have been on trips and we've tried to find a motel and that was impossible. I remember one time our family was going to Nags Head, North Carolina. That's a good place to think of right now. And uh, my boy Danny had just got his boat, uh, and uh, he had this brilliant idea that he would take his boat to the ocean. Lesson number one is don't take a boat for the river to the ocean. So here we go. We're going down. And, you know, most people, when they go to uh, on a family vacation, you kind of plot it out. Okay, we'll go halfway, and we'll stay the night. And then uh, and we'll get up in the morning. We'll make the rest of the journey. We had that plan. But you know how it is. You're going down there and you're driving and driving. And, you know, you're feeling good. You're saying, oh, you know, I think we can do it. And so uh, on and on went on and on. We went to past the point of no return. And uh, we, we never crossed our mind that we couldn't get a room somewhere. And we're pretty good at uh, at at making our way. And so we got into the uh, jurisdiction of Nagshead, North Carolina. We started looking for a room and lo and behold, there was none. Uh, we tried to make deals with everybody we could. There were no deals to be made. And so uh, as last resort, we went out where the campers go. They have tents and different things. And so here we come, we come pulling in there with this boat and these people and our grandkids, and uh, we're, we got parked right next to a group of teenagers in a tent that smoked dope all night long. <laughs> and I was up all night. I thought we were going to get killed. I thought, this is it. We're going to die right here. You know, who knows what's going to happen to, these, to us at this place. Uh, we, uh, we somehow made it through the night, and it took us a while to catch up on our sleep. But there was no room in the inn. Jesus said in heaven, there are many mansions. There's room for everybody there. The word mansion is an interesting word. Uh, it's the word monet. Uh, and uh, down in verse number 23, it's translated home. Uh, and it's taken from the verb to remain. It's our final home, our final address. Uh, I was interested to know how the early translations of the Bible translated that. And so I went back and I looked at the Tyndall translation. That, that I think, is the earliest English translation of the Bible, 1534. I, and it translated it as mansions. But then I looked at the Geneva Bible, 1599, and it translated that word, Monet, as dwelling places. Uh, the word mansions back in the when those Bibles were written, had a different meaning than ours today. 
When you and I think of a mansion today, it has an economic implication to it, doesn't it? We, we think of this big, gigantic place. Uh, it Really, though, I said all of that to say this. It simply means dwelling places. I'm always challenged, though, when I read the word mansions. I kind of like it for the sake of Mrs. McElroy. Remember, she was the lady in our little church in Sheridan that prayed for me when I went off to the Air Force and... She lived in that little Inselbrick house down there in the alley in the Sheridan section in Pittsburgh. Uh, for her sake, I hope she has the biggest mansion in heaven, if there is such a thing. I don't really think that word explains the, uh, the grandeur of the place, but I will concede. Uh, it has to be pretty spectacular, doesn't it, if the streets are gold and the gates are pearl? I think it has to be pretty nice to fit in the neighborhood. Jesus said, I'm going to go away. I'm going to prepare you a dwelling place. And then I'm coming again. And, and uh, as much as I've read on this, on this subject, everybody seems to be in agreement that this refers to the rapture of the church. It certainly doesn't explain Christ coming to earth to establish his kingdom. Uh, and really what he means by that is our, our separation is only temporary. That's all. I'm coming again. And um, he did come again pretty quickly, though, uh, after his ascension in the person of the Holy Spirit. I think we have to plug that in, too, in the interim time. And so Thomas says, listen, uh, Lord, uh, we do not know where you're going and how can we know the way? And, and Jesus said, I am the way. Now, that word is interesting, the word way. Uh, Moses taught people in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy to walk in the way. Uh, the way is a, is a road, it's a path. And Jesus said, I am the path to heaven, I am the way to heaven. I know you've gone into big stores before and you go in there and you don't have a clue. I, I always feel overwhelmed when I go to Lowe's or Home Depot or someplace like that. It's like, oh my, my head hurts. Jim Watts knows his way around those things. He knows every aisle, but I don't. And so uh, you go in there and you just hope that somebody will look at you. You could find somebody who could help you. And then you say, okay, I want this little electrical gadget. And that guy says, oh, you go back 16 aisles down there. And you're familiar with this. 16 aisles back there, go right at that aisle, go to the back of the store, make two lefts. And you're trying to look intelligent like you're remembering what he's saying. And you're thinking, oh, this is too much for me. And so you get back there and you're, and you're lost and you're looking for someone else to help you along the way. And then you go to little Evie's Hardware up here in Bethel Park. And as soon as you walk in the door, somebody's looking you in the eye and saying, listen, you tell them what you want. And they said, follow me. And you feel so good. No wonder, even though it's small, they have a big business. Um, they know what it is to take you on the way. Now, this word way is used in three ways here in the New Testament. First of all, it's a place. And whenever we read this, Jesus said, I am the way, we can read it this way. I am the highway to heaven. You want to get on the right highway? That's Christ. He's the way. Uh, it's a path or a road or a highway. It's used as a place. The second way it's used is an action. It's a trip or a journey. And so Jesus is saying, uh, follow me on the journey. 
I'll get you to your destination because remember, I'm the forerunner. And thirdly, it's used of a way of life, things that characterize our lives on the way. For instance, a Christian is a person of the way of peace. You know, when we are saved, God gives us peace in our heart and it makes us a more peaceful person. And uh, rather than spreading strife around, our goal is to spread some peace around. Luke chapter 1, verse 79, let's read this. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's the same word right there. Uh, this word way means a way of life, the way of righteousness, the way of salvation. In fact, it is so significant that the early church was known as the people of the way. Whenever they referred to the church, you know, we have so many names of so many churches now, it boggles your mind, doesn't it? So many denominations, all these things. But in that day, these people were called the people of the way. That was their name. Because I think what they did is they picked up on this statement of Jesus and they just went everywhere talking about it. And uh, people would say, now, what way are you talking about? And they would quote, well, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so everybody started talking about that. In Acts chapter 9, whenever Paul was going to Damascus to arrest Christians, uh, the Bible says, so that if he found any uh, that were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He was looking for people who were tagged people of the way. In fact, in Acts chapter 22, verse 4, Paul was saying, I persecuted the way to death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. Now, we all know in this church, I feel today especially like preaching to the choir, we all know in this church that Jesus is the way and he is the only way. He didn't say, I'm one of the ways. He said, I am the way. And so I know that it is that it is very prevalent in our society for people to become so politically correct uh, to just let people say, listen, everybody's on their own path to God and God is one up there and we're all going different paths and things of that nature. But uh, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said there's only one road that will get you to my father's house and I'm that road. I'm that person. But there are two ways, and I, there's another way. And I'd like to call it today a superhighway. Two paths in life. Psalm chapter 1, verse 6 says this. Well, let's read it. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I don't know any better way to depict the two ways than this particular graphic right, right here. Um, the way of the righteous, the way of the unrighteous, the way of the ungodly. Matthew seven thirteen and 14 says this. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way. Now follow me. Broad is the way that leads to where? Destruction. And so we have the Broadway over here, and the destination is disastrous. Destruction. 
And who's on that way? Many who go in by it. Why? Now, this is interesting. There's a reason for this. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. Now, that's interesting. Broad is the way. Many are on that way. Uh, the word again is hodos, highway. Uh, on the right is the highway to hell. There it is. Um, narrow and difficult is the way to heaven. There are few that find it puny in comparison. The highway to heaven is off the beaten path. Uh, there's another verse I'd like to plug in right here, and it's Luke 13, 24. It says, Strive to enter in through the narrow gate, for many, I say, will seek to enter and will not be able. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. And I, I kind of picture that as this, as people come down to this point in their life, and uh, this is rug-cutting time. This is time when it really gets hard. Will I go to the left, uh, the narrow way, or will I go to the right? Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say, will seek to enter and will not be able. A lot of people would like to go that way, but there are all sorts of obstacles. They look down that road and they see obstacle after obstacle. They have to consider the cost. Loss of friends. In many cases around our world today, people are losing their family. They are losing their family when they make a decision for Christ. I'll tell you what, that is really hard. That is really hard. Is there anything harder than that? And so they're looking down this road to the left and they're considering the cost and they know that they have to take a stand in order to win their family and friends to Christ. They have to speak up. They have to go public with their faith. And Jesus said, he who confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father in heaven. And then they're branded after they go down that way. The stakes are pretty high. They have to pay a price. And uh, Paul said to Timothy, everyone who, who lives righteous in Christ shall suffer persecution. And so they look down there and they say, you know, that's pretty heavy. And the broad way is so easy. It really is. Uh, the path of least resistance. All my friends are going down that way. But the destination is deadly. The destination is deadly. The way of Christ does cost a person in our life, in our lifetime. It does. But there is this tremendous verse in Romans 8.18, which goes like this. Let's read it. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Whatever price that way cost us down through our life, there is no comparison to the glory, the destination of that way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the only way, I am the truth and I am the life. Um, no one can come to God in any other way um, Mere Christianity was voted the best book of the 20th century by Christianity Today in the year 2000. In this book, C.S. Lewis makes this statement. 
A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he, he is a poached egg, or he would be a devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. Um, C.S. Lewis died November 22, 1963 the same day that John Kennedy was assassinated. Due to Lewis's approach to religious belief as a skeptic and his following conversion, he was called the apostle to the skeptics. Even the demons could admit the truth that Jesus was the Son of God, but they did not submit to Jesus or believe in his atoning work on their behalf. Uh, Thomas said, listen, I want to know the details of this, and Jesus said, you're looking at the answer. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the highway to heaven. I am the right path. Travel with me on this journey and enjoy the life I give to you. And uh, I think probably most of us in this room today have taken Christ up on that invitation to come to him. Uh, I'm here today to remind you that... Uh, Jesus, who is God, the God of the Old Testament, uh, in his divinity, uh, said, I am the way, follow me. Let's bow our heads in prayer. He is the way to heaven. Maybe you've come to the service this morning and, and maybe you're at a crossroads. Uh, maybe you're uh, right there looking down uh, each path. You're already on the broad way, uh, but you have to get off of it to get on the narrow way. And the gate is narrow, and that's Christ. And there, you can't come to the proper destination via the wrong person. Uh, the church won't get you to the right destination. Good works or baptism or communion won't get you there. Only Christ. And so I want to invite you today, if you've never invited Christ into your heart, uh, to wash away your sins, uh, to invite him into your heart right now as you sit there this morning. Just humble your heart in his sight and confess your sins to him and say, Lord, I've broken your law, I've offended you. Uh, but I, I'm here today and I need you. I want to walk the right way. I want to walk your way. And I want you to be my, my guide, my forerunner into heaven. And just come to Christ in your own words. And uh, he will accept you on the basis of your faith and trust in him. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word because it is eternal. It doesn't change. It, it's the same in every generation. And we thank you that we are here in the church this morning reveling, reveling in the facts of what we have read from your word. We just pray that you will so emblazon these facts upon our heart, Lord, that uh, when we go out, uh, even though we have churches of different names, that uh, maybe somewhere, someone along the line will say, oh, they're people of the way because they keep talking about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. 
Lord, we thank you for this, and we pray that as we go out into the world today with your message, that you will give us your energy and strength to present people with these two paths. And uh, Lord, give us the power to live your life in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the Lord's people said, Amen. Okay, let's stand together this morning, please, uh, and be dismissed. Turn around and shake hands with a few of your friends today. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great day.